Carolina's Field, Forest, and Water. A closer look at agriculture in South Carolina and conversations between the current and future leaders of agriculture in the Palmetto State and experts from across America. Presented by the students of the South Carolina Governor's School for Agriculture at John De La Howe. From our campus in McCormick County, here's our moderator, Tymir Morton. Welcome to this edition of Carolina Field, Forest, and Water. I'm Tommy Morton. Today we've been joined by Mr. Joseph Ego, <laughs> the man who has been described for having a big hat and a big heart. Today is me, me, Mr. Eric McCall, Mr. Joseph Ego. We're here to talk about beef cattle. He's here from the Rock and Cheer Ranch. They have over 300 acres and raise beef cows. Thank you. We're going to try to get him on a couple questions today. Are you ready, Mr. Ego? Absolutely. Well, a couple questions I come up with. Um, how, how do you like the beef cattle industry? I, I love it. I, I cannot imagine doing anything else at this point in my life. I've wanted to do it um, ever since I was a kid playing in the dirt. Um, my daddy and my granddaddy were cattle ranchers. Um, and um, after my daddy died, I kind of – Felt like I missed my dream, I missed my chance of owning my own cattle operation because his place had to be sold. But um, I've always wanted to be in the cattle business, and that's um, has been a lifelong dream. And that's that's what I think pushed and drove me to build and start Rocking Chair Ranch Cattle. How long have y'all been in business? Well, when did y'all start? Well, about 12 years ago, um, I had a small hobby farm. Um, called it a hobby farm because I had to work a day job to just to make it work, yes. to feed my cow habit. But um, about 12 years ago, me and a friend of mine were talking one day, and he had a friend that had a small restaurant that wanted to serve a farm-to-table burger. So we um, went through the process of getting our um, meat, mo mobile meat license and getting everything together, finding a processor that could process um, our cattle for us. And um, we went to our first farmer's market and sold um, six pounds of ground beef for $36. I delivered uh, 100 pounds of ground beef to the local restaurant and um, – received $400 for that, and that's what kind of started us off. And um, we have grown from there to now we own a little over 500 acres of land. We have our own processing plant, and um, we process cattle for about 190 other different farms. And we sell beef mostly in the Atlanta, Peachtree City area, and Macon area. So how far do y'all go out with, like, getting calves in and cows out? We, um, a lot of our farmers bring us cattle to the processing plant from as far away as North and South Carolina, Tennessee, um, Alabama. We have a couple customers from Mississippi and um, all over Central and South Georgia. Yes. Mr. McCall, I got a couple questions for you. Sure. Do you see the um, governor's school doing any? Business with the Rocking Chair Ranch. Well, it's uh, there's always a possibility that we could, you know, have a business arrangement. I tell you, 
Joseph and everyone at the Rock and Chair Ranch have been extremely valuable to us in terms of uh, their advice. And uh, I think Joseph has seen his dream become reality, and he knows all of the roadblocks and the things that you you run into along the way and even the things that we don't know to anticipate because, as most people know by now, we we are planning to try to uh, develop a facility, a meets facility here on campus. And so uh, we've reached out to people in the community, and Joseph was one of the main ones that we've been talking with, trying to get advice on, you know, which way do we go, how do we do it, what's the best process. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very thankful for his advice because a lot of times I've learned, you know, I, I was in business for a lot of years myself, and some mistakes you you have you have to make on your own to be able to learn from them. But if we can benefit from learning from other people's, <laughs> you know, mistakes and the process that it took to get there, well, that just helps us all. And people like Mr. Joseph, who are so willing uh, to share their knowledge with us, is is incredibly valuable. Thank you, Mr. Joseph. I got a question. Yes. So, when you first started. The same eight cows you say you started out with on your hobby farm, is that what you started processing with? Um, I had a – the first first one I processed, I had an older bull that um, was my first beef that I processed was, was an older bull, and I ground – I've had everything ground up into ground beef. And for the first while, that's all I sold was just ground beef. But um, the – in the beginning, I, my goal was hopefully to do 12 head of cattle a year. And the next thing I knew, the demand had grown so much, I was looking for other cattle. And I started buying a lot of cattle from other farmers around, um, mostly heifers that didn't breed or open heifers from out of their program. So how many calves do y'all probably calve this this year? We'll, this year we'll have about 75 to 80 head of calves that, are homegrown, and then I still buy a few outside cattle. How many do y'all get in a year from different farms? Probably 25 or 30 head. That's just from South Carolina alone? No, um, from Georgia. From Georgia. So most of y'all buyers from? Most of our cattle come out of Georgia. Georgia. Yes, sir. Okay. Mr. McCall? So with the calves that we have here now, do y'all have any intention of sending anything to Rock and Cheer Ranch? Yes, yeah, so uh, we we haven't gotten that far down the track. Um, when I started as the the farm manager here back in November, uh, we just started calving uh, that following January, and so we had a calf crop that we have uh, we've raised, we've weaned off, and now um, we're we're feeding those calves now. So we're still potentially, I'd say, by the, that that calf needs to be about twenty one months old, you know, before it's ready to. Uh, to be processed, and so we're we're still a little ways down the track before we'll be processing anything that was actually uh, born and raised here at Delahoe. But definitely, I, I mean, we certainly uh, want to do business uh, with Rock and Chair Ranch. I, I will say that uh, right now we're having some pork processed, and uh, we're we're doing business with uh, Ash, Jason Ashley down at Back Forty Butchery, who has been very open and very uh, 
forthcoming with information and, and wanting to uh, help our school as well. So I think a lot of people in the They're process, and, yeah, J- Jason and his family are, are very good people. And they, again, they're very interested in the school and want to support the school a lot. And we see that out in the community. And that's, if someone asked me what, what part I'd like to play in this, it would be to not necessarily process for y'all, but to help y'all get the, the groundwork behind you and help you get your facility up and running. That's what would bring me the, the most, that's what would bring me the most um, satisfaction is seeing another small facility or mid-sized facility, whatever you want to call it. I guess it depends on what you're comparing it to, but to get another facility that could be sustainable and help the school um, create more employees and more education for people to go out into the community and work in other packing houses. That's That was what I would really like to see come out of this experience. And we appreciate that. We, we definitely do because I think you and even in my conversations I've had with, with uh, Jason Ashley, you know, you're, you were telling me earlier that you're looking for trained individuals. Or even, even I, I'm to the point that if someone just really, truly wanted to learn, I'd be willing to train. It's hard to find. It's a, it takes a special type of person. It takes somebody with a, um, a skill set and ability. Um, and that's one of the reasons we pay as much as we do to try to get people into this field. Um, but we need more places to teach teach this skill. People are going to continue to eat. That's a fact. And we've we got to have somebody that can turn that raw product into a consumable. Um, uh, consumable product. Product. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people. Uh, I'm not trying to steal oh, you. You steal your time good. there, Ty. But you're I think good. a lot of people. Uh, at first, you think, oh, well, cutting up a carcass of beef. How hard could that be? You know, you just yeah. take it, you, you got a sharp knife, and you just cut it in chunks, right, and package it. It's, that It couldn't be farther from the truth. There's a science to it. There's a method, and and there is a, a way, a specific way of breaking that carcass down and making it into marketable cuts. Absolutely it is. And, um, and it's amazing to me that um, – I've never really been in the culinary world, but the, the number of chefs that want all these different and unusual and odd cuts. Um, and they're the new rock stars of, they're the new rock stars. Um, if you don't believe it, just talk to a chef. <laughs> he'll, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. So how many people do you, like, do you have on your payroll right now? Um, 18, I believe. So how many did you start off with? One. <laughs> It was we were a, a one man band for several years, yes. and um, then um, we really started growing. Rocking chair was kind of mulling along there, and we really started growing about eight years ago. Um, Tracy came to work for me, and we kind of started getting some traction and expanding a little bit, and then we went to a. Um, added value conference and we met some people and um it it kind of 
took us down a different path that I didn't think I'd ever go down. That's when we started talking about building a packing house. Um, and that took a lot longer than, than perhaps maybe it should have, but we had a lot of hurdles to overcome that we weren't, were not expecting. So what is it like night from daylight to sundown at Rock and Cheer Ranch? It varies day to day and week to week. Typically I'll get up and, um, I check in with, with Trace. Trace answers all the emails and things. I check in with her and see what come in or what might be going on. And then, um, I check my, I still, I'm the one that checks my cattle every day. I still go around and my cattle are separated off into different pastures, but I make my rounds, check my cattle, um, go by the packing house, make sure that everybody's up and running, um, take care of any little odds and ends that needs done there. I'm still the one that runs a lot of errands that gathers up everything from paper tiles to cleaning products. Um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm the one in the back unloading cattle. And, um, so I, I still do a lot of the, the day-to-day operation stuff. And then in the afternoons, I'll make another round on, on my cattle. Um, what kind of cattle do y'all usually try to breed them there? We, I come from Mississippi and my daddy had a lot of ear cattle. And um, I'm a very odd person in my area where I live. Most people have Angus there, but I run a lot of crossbred eared cattle. I have a lot of Brahma influence in my in my herd, simply because that's what I like. And we have where I live there, we have more hot and dry weather than we do cold weather. And the ear cattle seem to do a little better for me there than, um, and that's. Like I said, that's, that's, that's what I enjoy. Do you think the climate has anything to do like with the meat when it comes down to butchering cattle? Um, I'm not sure if climate has as much to do with it as the feed. Well, I guess, of course it does when you think about the grass it grows, but what the cow consumes, I think, has more influence on the beef than breed or um, color or anything like that. I, I think a, a lot of if you've got a good rainy spring and your your summer grass grows well, your meat's going to be a lot better. So if you've if you've got good forage and good feed, then you're definitely going to um, your product will be better. Ty, I asked him a while ago. We were riding around in the truck, and I was, he was telling me that he's got a little more ear influence in his cattle. And I said, "Would well, you have you noticed a?" decrease in intramuscular fat just from having, you know, that Brahmin influence yeah. in your cattle. And and his response was, no, not really. You know, that's something as producers, you know, I've heard it yeah. a lot through the years. The more ear you get in your cattle, that's just a decrease in intramuscular fat. But it's only to a degree, I think. Correct. And I, I have photographs, um, and um, there was a study done by South Carolina uh, – a few years back, we actually donated um, some rib loins to them to to do some comparisons, and a good good fed crossbred cow marvels out just as well 
as some of the straight English breed, English breeds. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot of it has to do with how it is fed, um, what it's fed, and how it's fed. You know, one of the things I think about if you've ever sold through a barn here in the southeast, when you take cattle calves to the barn, they got you know some ear in them and it's showing. A lot of times you'll get what we call getting docked, or you'll yeah. get a le- you'll get less money. And that's because you, your buyers are thinking, well, these ear cattle are going out west to a colder climate. They're going to have to be fed on a colder, in a colder climate, and so therefore that represents some sort of a, a, a liability to us. Well, if you're feeding cattle who are bred to survive in the southeast, and you're killing them in the southeast, then you're realizing the full potential of that animal and its genetic components. And and that's you know if you go to South Texas, South Louisiana. You see a lot of ear because they're what can survive there. That's right. Um, so it, it's and that's one of the things that that makes me excited about y'all putting in a, a packing house facility here is that it's, it's another avenue for those local cattle to stay local, be be consumed here, and if we can get if we can get a packing house here at the school, that would. Um, that would enable more cattle, local cattle, to be consumed here. Absolutely. It's a win-win for the school and for the community. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference you see in the cattle that come from Texas and Alabama than up here in South Carolina and North Carolina? Um, not a whole lot from South Carolina, not a whole lot. Some of the cattle you see coming from a little further north, you see a little more hair on them. Um. There's a lot of good fat cattle coming out of South Carolina. Um, you might see a little less hair on some of the southern cattle. Do y'all buy a lot of forage market steers? Say that again. The forage market steers in the forage project? We don't. Y'all don't? We don't. Okay. So what's the biggest problem y'all run into at the butcher shop? Goes back to labor. labor. Good trained Good, educated, trained labor. Um, finding those people, because our packing house is a smaller packing house, everybody has to do a, more than one job, and so it's not like at a grocery store where beef comes in boxed and one person makes one cut all day long. Uh, a true butcher has to be able to take a whole carcass off the rail, and um, be able to break it down into about a. Um, 22, 23 different cuts to get that product into its full potential for the consumer. Um, so having that person that's trained and understands how to um, dismantle that carcass is that's the that's probably the biggest hurdle that we get over every day. How many cows do y'all probably process a year? Um. Probably somewhere around fifteen to seventeen hundred. Um, we average about a little over a hundred thousand pounds of beef on the rail per month. That's pretty good. That's a lot of beef. Yeah, and uh, I think it's worth noting you were you you've told us several times that when you were building your your strategy, your market plan, you know, you needed to make thirty five thousand pounds a month 
to make it fly. Yes, sir. And now currently you're at a hundred thousand north of a hundred thousand pounds per month. So if your break even's at thirty five, I mean that's pretty good. It yeah, I, pretty I, good profit margin. You know, um, I kind of laugh and I I told some um some people sometimes I feel like a drug dealer. <laughs> um, I go to the bank a couple times a week, but um, it it um. I took a lot of risk. We have a lot of overhead to pay, but um, the the meat packers is where the money is made. It's where the risk is. It's where the risk is. It's where a lot of investment is. But it's where the money is made, mm-hmm. and that's another reason that I hate keep circling back to trying to encourage somebody else to build a plant. But if this, if we could get the support behind the school and they could get a facility, it would be a, it would be something that the school could have that would actually create income for them. And, Not only that, and train individuals to work out in the industry. Sure, and, and the school could also, one thing that I'm not allowed to have in my county, but if the school could have a retail outlet here that would allow the local the local community to come and enjoy some of the benefits of having a local avatar at the at at the at the school and it would be a i think a very very big asset for y'all oh there's no doubt it would definitely help us with our sustainability goals it would help us to develop our market, which is, is, is very much in our plans. It's a priority. I think it would, uh, it would go a long ways. And it would bring a lot more people back to school yeah. and the community. Yeah. Well, and and I'll I tell you something else. There's, there's no education better than retail. <laughs> if you want to get an education, work in retail, work in retail <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. It, um, you'll learn a lot. But, I, but you know, there's, there's so many pros to, there's so many pros to this for the school. Um, I truly hope and pray that um, we can get get the support behind it. And I think we can. We appreciate members of the community like yourself yes. jumping in there with yes. us. What's some of the places that y'all sell beef to? Um, most we our biggest outlet is probably the farmers market in Peachtree City. Then we have. Um, um, the Ingleside Village Market there in Macon, who has been my oldest supporter, um, Brendan Riley and I go back, gosh, eight, ten years, maybe more, about ten years or so. Then we sell the Fountain of Juice, the local restaurant. Then we have Grits Cafe, which does a wonderful job for us, and the Farm to Table, and um. Sharpsburg sells for us. Um, Dickey, Dickey Farms sells a lot of our beef um, there off his farm. He has a farm store and retail outlet. Yes. Well, do you got any any path, like put us on a good path to where we're going to start around here? <laughs> That's a good question. I wish there was a a magic recipe that I could tell you that if you did – this, this, and this, that 
everything would work for you, but um, I don't really know that I could, I don't really know that I've got that, but I would say that um, I do truly believe in my in my heart of hearts that if you are able to build a processing plant and provide a good service at a fair price, that it will catapult um, not only you but other farmers in this area to a different level because I have seen it do that in my area. And it will make your sustainability possible um, more so than any other one thing that I can think of that um, you could do. When you are able to take that raw commodity and turn it into a usable product, you're creating something. You're not just selling a service. You're creating something. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in to our podcast this edition of Carolina Field Forest and Water. I'm Tommy Morton, Mr. Ed McCall, and Joseph Egoff. Join us next week for our podcast on agriculture. Thank you. Carolina's Field, Forest, and Water, a closer look at agriculture in South Carolina and conversations between the current and future leaders of agriculture in the Palmetto State and experts from across America. Presented by the students of the South Carolina Governor's School for Agriculture at John De La Howe. For more information on the South Carolina Governor's School for Agriculture, visit our website at delahow.sc.gov.